If you'd like to take your Bible and turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, we're continuing a sermon series that we're calling We Tunes, not iTunes, but We Tunes. Uh, what does it look like to sing together as a church? What does it look like to approach music in the 21st century, and so we're going to take several weeks and explore this from different angles. Some weeks you'll say, I think I know what that had to do with music, and other weeks it kind of seems more like a foundational sort of thing. This is one of those foundational weeks, but I hope as you follow along with those notes on the back of your bulletin, you'll see how these things fit together as we're thinking about this topic of what what does it look like to come together as a church family. Uh, Guys, we're in the slides. If we we're going to read through these verses, and then if you can just track back up to Ezekiel 37, verse 1 in a second, we'll look at them in, uh, in more detail. But I want to start by actually reading through this passage. Uh, if you're having trouble finding Ezekiel, if you get to the middle, kind of in the book of Psalms, and go to the right, you'll, you'll run into Ezekiel. It's a fairly long book, but one we don't go to, uh, go to very often. So I want us to start out by reading Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Verse seven, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Now, I don't know about your personal TV choices, you know, what you enjoy watching on TV. Uh, my family recently has watched and rewatched just about every episode of The Great American Baking Show, uh, so you can know what world we live in when it comes to, uh, to TV viewing. That and, you know, things like Paw Patrol and Wild Kratts, and that's kind of where, where we live in, in TV viewing. But uh, for a while, and still happening, 
there's a genre of TV viewing that's really taking off, and it's the whole zombie idea. Uh, I'm not promoting Walking Dead. I'm not even saying that you should go Google Walking Dead or know anything about it. But just to know that in the culture, there's this push toward the idea of zombies. Uh, Some of you may have made special preparations in case something happens with zombies. You just need to be be aware. But there's this whole idea going on in our culture about these animated corpses, the, uh, the Walking Dead idea. That's not what's happening in Ezekiel 37, okay? Just want you to know from the start, but it is a great bridge to have a conversation with someone about the Bible. If you have no way to build a bridge with someone who you know is not a Christian, they don't care less about the Bible or religion, you're just looking for some way to have a spiritual conversation, don't miss the crazy backdoor gift that zombie culture is in our world. Because it is a perfect way to say, hey, did you know there's a story in the Bible kind of sort of like that? And then you tell them the story about Ezekiel 37, and Ezekiel 37 opens up this beautiful gospel conversation uh, with someone. What you find here in Ezekiel 37 is the historical context of this passage is at this time there were really, well, going through Israel's history, there were really two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is taken into captivity. They're destroyed by the Assyrians in about 722 BC. And then this southern kingdom holds on, but they don't learn their lessons. And so the Babylonians come along, and starting in about 605 BC, up through about 586, the Babylonians destroy and take into captivity this southern kingdom there of Judah. And so what's happening is Ezekiel is prophesying on both sides of that second southern takeover. And he's prophesying at the beginning of his book about judgment is coming. He's telling them over and over and over again, judgment is coming, it's going to come if you don't repent. And then, after that judgment comes, the second half of Ezekiel, not exactly in the half, but picking up around chapter 33, the second half of Ezekiel begins to tell a story of hope. Yes, judgment has come, Yes, these things have happened. Yes, you've been taken into captivity, but that's not the end of the story. And over and over and over again in our lives, we should thank the Lord that judgment is not the end of the story. Because for every one of us, the story is that we are under judgment because of a rebellion against God, but that doesn't have to be the end of the story. That there's hope. And this begins to tell some of this. If you look in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, You should tie a little connection, a little thread in your mind to the story of Jesus being sent out for the temptations. It talks about how, how the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness, and he faces these temptations. That language is purposely tied back here between Ezekiel 37 and those temptation scenes there. The, The Spirit of the Lord set me out in the middle of a valley. And it was full of these dry bones. If you back up to the end of chapter 36 and you begin, so you scroll up in your phone and you want to read through some of those verses, the end of Ezekiel chapter 36 is telling stories about these beautiful gardens and all of these great things that are happening. And then you get to Ezekiel 37 and it's a picture of all this dry brokenness, all these bones scattered apart. So there's a really strong contrast between the end of 36 and the beginning of 37. Not only that, but when you hear biblical references, 
and it's true in 2017, a valley is usually not a good thing. Uh, when you think about good things in Scripture, you think about Mount Sinai, or you think about Mount Zion, or you think about going up on a mountain to meet the Lord. If you go into a valley, it doesn't matter if it's in the Old Testament or if it's yesterday, going into a valley is generally a bad thing. It, it means life is going downhill, things aren't going well. This, it's not a good picture. So in verse 2, the Spirit of God leads Ezekiel back and forth among these bones and he saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. In other words, this is a really bad situation. There's no way that Ezekiel is going to be able to fix it. So in verse 3, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Now, Ezekiel is obviously put in a very difficult situation here. Because he knows that based on human means, no way they can live. But the God of the universe just ask him this question. So what does he say? In verse 3 at the end, he says, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. I mean, isn't that brilliant? What a great response. Uh, you just turn it back on the other person, even if it is God, and say, I don't know. Only you know the answer to this question, implying I can't deal with this. You're going to have to deal with this. Verse 4, he says to me, prophesy. So speak my word to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now, we read Bible stories a lot, and especially if you read them quickly, we don't realize everything that's going on. Imagine that you're out in this valley of dry bones, and you're speaking out loud to a pile of bones lying on the ground. What do you feel like at that point? Well, you probably feel a little foolish, and you're probably thinking, I hope nobody's watching me, and what's actually going to happen here? But Ezekiel follows through. He follows through with what he's asked to do. Verse 5, it says, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. That word breath, the way the language is set up, it means literal breath, but there's also a connection here with spirit. The word for breath, the word for wind, and the word for spirit, including the spirit of God, are all tied together by similar words, um, oftentimes by the same word. So it's not only just breath, human breath, but there's something happening here that is going to be the very power, the very spirit, the very life of God that's at work when breath is referenced here. So it says, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover it with skin. I will put breath in you. You will come to life. Then look at the verse 6, the way it ends. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That word know, K-N-O-W, underline it. If you like to underline words, that's a key word throughout this story, that when God works, his people are going to know him. So you will know that I am the Lord. So verse 7 Ezekiel says, I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Now, I will spare you singing the little kid song that I know is going on in your mind at this point about all these bones 
coming together, but uh, if you've been a part of a vacation Bible school or a Sunday school class at some point, there's a good chance you've heard a little kid's song about all these bones coming, coming together. This is the background for that, for that song. Verse 9, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe, in, or breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breathed, and, and the breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Okay, don't miss the connection here, this Ezekiel 37 story. Don't miss the connection here with the original creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. When God creates man in the Garden of Eden, it's a two-part creation. He shapes the man, he forms the man out of the ground, and then he breathes into the man so that the man comes to life. That is meant to trigger our minds to understand what's going on here in Ezekiel 37. This is an exact match that as God gave life at the very beginning, it was this two-part process. That same two-part process is happening here in Ezekiel 37. The bones, the, the flesh is being formed, and then God breathes in, and there's life. But not just one life. That's really, really important. Not just one life. The end of verse 10 says, they stood up on their feet, a vast army. What has just happened to the southern kingdom historically before Ezekiel gives this prophecy? They were destroyed by what? A vast army. They know a thing or two about what armies can do. The pain that they can inflict. What they're able to bring on another country. And it's very intentional here that these people, they're not just being shaped individually, but when God does a work among his people, he shapes them as a group. He brings them together, not just as individuals, but he brings them together as a group. And this becomes very important as we think about what it means to be a church. That when God saves you, it's not just an individual work that he does. It's true, it is an individual work, but it's not just that. Because when he saves us, he saves us in such a way that he brings our lives together with other believers. Not so we'll go out and destroy others, but so that we will be his army so that others will know about him. And then down in verse 11, he says to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know, there's that word again in verse 13, you will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit, there's the connection between breath and spirit, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So over top of Ezekiel 37 is when there is no hope, God brings life through his word and spirit. When there is no hope, God brings life through his word and spirit. You say, okay, what's the big deal about that? Well, number one, we are dry and dead apart from God's word and spirit. That's true for every one of us individually, and that's true for our church. That apart from God's word, and apart from God's spirit, we are dry and dead. 
We know what it's, a part, what it's like to be in a situation, maybe even a church situation, that can seem dry. All the statistics are really bad, so it's not much fun to repeat them, but most of the statistics say that 90% or so of churches are plateaued and declining, that there's not this vibrancy, there's not this work of the Lord that we're able to see. It feels dry sometimes. You may be here this morning, and your spiritual life just feels dry. You say, it took everything inside me to come. I didn't want to come. I don't want to open the Bible. I want to talk to anybody about the word of the Lord. That guy up there just sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. I just want to get out of here. It just feels dry. Well, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of themes that can play into that. But what we know over and over and over in Scripture is apart from God's word and spirit, we will face this dryness. But it goes deeper than that even. Apart from God's word and spirit, Scripture says we're, we're dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Apart from God's word and apart from God's spirit, we are without life. We're like those bones that are scattered on that valley. And what you should pick up from that Ezekiel 37 story is that there is nothing that anyone can do to bring themselves back to life on their own power. If you feel dry, if you say, I don't care about the Lord, I don't care about what it means to have a relationship with him, I'm just cutting myself off, that is a situation that we don't bring ourselves out of. Those bones laying on that valley floor in Ezekiel 37, they weren't putting themselves back together. They weren't coming back to life. It was only when God's word was spoken and when God's spirit moved that there was life. And that's number two on your notes, is that God gives life through his word and spirit. The cool thing about this is you see this all throughout scripture. Genesis 1, 1 to 2, the spirit of God was hovering over the waters and God said, let there be light. So at the very beginning of creation, God's spirit's at work, and God speaks. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news. In the New Testament, when God's spirit moves, the word of God is spoken. They're always tied together. John chapter 4, Jesus tells them, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's the spirit of God and the word of God, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Then Acts chapter one. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group of about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. When God brings life to his people, he does it through his word and his spirit, word and spirit always working together. Now you say, that's good, I believe that, I think I know what you're talking about, but it feels really abstract. Well let me help just kind of work, work this out a little bit. I know this is gonna be awkward, but I'm gonna cover my eyes for just a moment, and David Hillis is gonna cover his eyes for just a moment, okay? How many of you prefer the music over the preaching? Okay, 
All right, put your hands down. How many of you prefer the preaching part over the music part? Okay, put your hands down. That was painful, I didn't even watch. All right. If at the core of us, we really realize, usually people have a preference. They kind of like the music, that musical worship part, a little more than they like the preaching part. So they really engage with the music, that's their favorite part, they're participating, they're singing, they're, and then the preacher comes and they know that's important, but hey, let's just get to that final song so I can sing again and then we can go home. Other people do whatever is possible to avoid the music part, or they cringe during the music part because they're just hanging on because they're really there to study the word of God. They want the preaching part. Here's what I'm trying to say. If we're not careful, we end up putting a division between word and spirit. And when God gives life to people, and when God gives life to a church, he always does it through his word and spirit. Now, if you've ever had a Bible study with my wife, you know that she loves charts, and I like a good chart as well. So we're gonna work through a chart here just for a moment about the division between word and spirit. I'm going to create some extremes, okay? So, so as we're going through, realize these are not always good extremes, but I want you to see how this works out in a person's life and in a church. So on the word side, somebody says, I love God's word. Those kind of churches are solid. On the spirit side, people say, yeah, but man, when you have the spirit, it's vibrant. Well, the, go back to the word side, and that person says, yeah, but we're biblical. And the spirit side says, yeah, but, but we're relevant. We actually impact people's lives. Well, the word side says, huh, you just called us boring. And then the spirit side hears, you just called us shallow. And then you go back to the word side, and there's a focus on the mind. People who like the word side, they like the process, they like the intellectual, they like the information. Oftentimes they're going to be trying to go after more degrees and read more books and learn more things. And on the spirit side, there's a focus on the heart. I want to feel it. I want to know that it's true in my emotions and in my heart. The word, there's information. The spirit, there's stories. The word people like to read. The spirit people like art and creating and using those. You see how these are kind of getting set up as there's a possibility you could separate these two? Go to the next screen. On the word side, you listen to bot radio. If you don't know what bot radio is, it's where they just play preachers over and over and over again throughout the, throughout the day. People love that. They eat that up. They want to listen to all their favorite preachers. On the spirit side, you listen to House FM or K-Love or Air One or whatever your favorite radio station is. You like the music. Listening to a preacher on the radio sounds like the most. You barely make it through Sunday morning, much less listen to another preacher during, during the week. That's just not your thing. On the word, people like to listen in Sunday school. They like to hear a lecture. They like to receive information. On the spirit side, they want to share in a small group. I want to be a part of a small group where I can really share my life uh, with, with somebody. The word side, they sit in rows because it's like a classroom and there's learning. Spirit, they like to sit in circles. Uh, this is kind of the difference between a guy's having a conversation and girls having a conversation. Guys, we stand awkwardly shoulder to shoulder while having a conversation. Girls are more likely to face, face one another or be in a circle when they have a, a conversation. 
the word people are low emotion. They're probably not expressing themselves very much. They're just taking it in. Doesn't mean there's nothing going on inside. They're just not expressing any emotion. The people on the spirit side are high emotion. They want to express themselves. They have all this inside of them that needs to get out. The word side usually will come from an approach where the miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, healing, gifts of faith, where they say that those have ceased, that those belong to the time of the New Testament, and they're not all, now, hear me out. I'm not saying that's what the Word of God teaches. We're setting up these extremes to make a point. But oftentimes, that, that will be an emphasis. On the Spirit side, miraculous gifts are promoted. So you've been to a church where there was a lot of speaking in tongues, or there was prophesying, or there were healing services, and, and sometimes it's done a really good way, and sometimes it's kind of abused and, and, and put over the top. But you get that distinction that's set up. Go to the next, the next screen. We're not finished yet. On the Word side, those people like songs with Scripture in them. They want to sing the Scripture. They like songs that have a storyline. My grandma, who's 92, she always told me that hymns were better than choruses because hymns told a story, uh, that a hymn would take you through a progression of the gospel and would teach a particular, particular story. On the other side, the spirit side, they like songs with themes or songs that repeat where you say the same phrases over and over and and then the word people come back and say, oh man, I just, those are 7-Eleven songs, you know, where you, you say the same seven words 11 times in, in a row and you just repeat them. And, and the word people can't stand those songs, but the spirit people love them because by the 11th time they're even more engaged than they were the, they were the first time. And then on the word side, they normally like church that has a strong liturgy, uh, a pattern, Sometimes, and this isn't the best phrase, but sometimes if you came from an Episcopalian or Lutheran or, or even a Presbyterian background, we'll call this high church. High church is just another way of saying there's a lot of structure, a lot of pattern to order to those services. The spirit people can't stand those services. They want services with a lot of freedom and flexibility. Uh, some of you may have been a part of churches before that there wasn't even order of worship having an order to your service was considered that you didn't trust the Spirit of God, and so you just walked in, and however the service happened, it happened. Uh, there's, there's that style of doing church. On the Word, generally we're quiet and still. On the Spirit side, people are louder. There's more movement. I couldn't put dancing up there because... That would be going too far. Uh, but there's movement uh, that happens on, on the spirit side. You need, you, you need that. Some of you, even as adults, sitting in a church service is so hard because you have the wiggles. And like you just need to move a little bit. You need some expression, some, something going on. Here's where it gets dangerous, though. You get down to the last one. On the word side, people will say, that's old or that's a traditional worship style. And on the spirit side, people will say, well, that's, that's new. That's a contemporary worship style. And therein lies a lot of these battles that happen in churches between is old good, is new good? Are we gonna be traditional? Are we gonna be contemporary? And if we're not careful, underneath that is this battle between word and spirit. And we can have the conversation about old and new, traditional and contemporary. That's a good discussion, and that's part of why we're having this sermon series, is to have that. 
What I'm asking us to do as a church is to make sure we're not setting up a battle between God's word and God's spirit. Because when we reach that point, we've taken away the power of God to bring salvation, the power of God to bring transformation, the power of God to shape a church. When God brings life, he always does it through word and spirit. That first danger, if you go all word, all traditional, church can come off feeling like a classroom. It can come off feeling like we're just here for a lesson. It's all about my intellect. It's all about my mind and not, and not my heart. If you're bit very traditional, if you can't stand the new contemporary music and you just you want church that has more structure, that's, that's more head-driven, don't miss that part of the push toward contemporary music that has happened, part of that push happened because people looked at an older style of worship and they didn't see it having any impact on people. And they didn't see lives being changed and they didn't see people engaged. And so it went more contemporary because they said if God's spirit's at work, it should look a lot different than this. It should show up on people's faces. It should show up in their lives when things are happening. So that's part of this push that happens. It's not the only thing that happens, but the Jesus movement of, of the 70s. Uh, students, if you've never heard the name Larry Norman, you need to go and, and Google because every song that you've seen on Wednesday night, you should thank the good Lord for Larry Norman that you, you've seen that song. This move that happened from, from a traditional music to more contemporary music all that is going back to say we have to be so careful about it's just the head. But on the flip side, if you love the spirit side of things, if you love the contemporary worship, if you love that engaging style, don't miss the danger there that worship could easily become a show, that it becomes all about the emotions and there's no thought given. There's no, and in churches that push really hard toward that contemporary side, that push really hard toward that spirit side, sometimes the word of God is pushed down. I'm not saying that happens every time, but there's a tendency that if you push really hard toward the spirit and leave that other side behind, what you end up doing is you end up neglecting the word of God, and at that moment, you've lost your foundation for everything that it means to be a Christian, for everything that it means to be engaged in the church, because God's spirit is always in service of God's word. God's spirit is the one that opens our heart to understand the word, that brings that word to life, and if we divide word and spirit, we are creating a division within God himself, because we believe in one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if we create a division between word and spirit, we're creating a division between the Son and the Spirit. And that's a division you'll find nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the New Testament. We, we cut the legs out from under us at that point. So what does this have to do with music uh, and, and corporate worship? Well, you can see it has pretty much everything to do with this topic. Number uh, A on your notes there. What does this have to do with church music? First, singing must be based on God's word. The music we sing together, what it means to come together like this and worship, any music that you engage in during the week for worship, at the core of that is just the question, is this biblical? Does this represent the word of God? Is it strong theologically? Does this push me to know God's word more? That has to shape the scening that we do. On the flip side, 
sinning also must be empowered by God's Spirit. If we're sinning in such a way that we're just repeating words, or we're just saying, I just really want the information, I don't care about the heart change, that's not true worship either. Because at that point, we've, we've separated word and spirit. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was a famous preacher in the 1700s involved in the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards did a lot of work on the relationship between God's work in a person's life and the issue of emotions. There was a debate going on in the 1700s that would fit really well in 2017, and the debate was, how do my emotions reflect if God's at work or not? Uh, there were the, these revivals happening, and people were having these incredible shows of emotion and displays of God's work in their life, and some of the people that were more word-driven, they didn't like this very much because it looked undignified, it looked like that's not how church people should act. They shouldn't be having those shows of emotion. And Jonathan Edwards came along, and he was able to track down the middle and say, we have to hold on to God's word, but if God's word is inspired by God's spirit, Lord knows we should show a little more emotion than we normally do. Now, some of this is driven by personality. Some of this is driven by your culture, by your context. Uh, not everybody is going to, to raise their hands during worship. Just, just not who everybody is. Not everybody should clap during worship, like me, because, you know, like that's how it comes across. Like it's just not helpful usually to, to musical worship to, to be clapping. And some people who look extremely stoic during the time of singing, there's deep emotion happening in their hearts. And so we have to be so careful about judging someone's lack of engagement or lack of passion and worship just by what's happening on, on their face. A lot of times we wish that our face did a better job representing the emotions that were actually, actually going on in, in our heart. But the point remains, if God's word and God's spirit are at work, we should be engaged, we should be passionate, we should be wholly devoted to what it means to experience God's work in our life. And then the final little point there, and we'll touch on this more next week, but singing and preaching aren't separate competing parts of worship. Uh, be really careful about saying the music is just kind of the appetizer up front, I'm really in it just for the, the preaching, and be equally careful about saying I'm just coming for the music. I really don't need the word of God. I just want to engage with the music. Either one of those misses the point of worship. And, and like I said, we're gonna develop that more. All right, so how does this apply to regular everyday life? Well, here at Emmaus, we use three words. Up, in, and out. I don't want those to be cheesy. I don't want those to be a stumbling block. I really want those to encompass what it looks like to live out the Christian life. So when God's word and God's spirit work in our lives, it will affect us up, in, and out. When God's word and God's spirit works in my life, I will know and worship him. So ask the question in your life, do I know and worship God wholeheartedly, or am I living a life that, frankly, is just dry spiritually? And if it is dry spiritually, and if I am separated from God, what do I need to do? 
What I do at that point is not try to pull my life together. What I do at that point is I repent and I look to God and say, Father, only through your power, only through your word, your gracious word of salvation, only through the work of your spirit can you make my heart come to life. And so we turn and say, I want to know you and I want to worship you. And then as that happens, God begins to transform our lives from the inside out. He does a work inside us through his word and his spirit. If you're a person who's normally driven by the word side of things, the traditional side of things, God will begin to open up your heart and your spirit in new ways. If you're a person who's driven by the creative, spirit, contemporary side of things, you're gonna find yourself going back to God's word and saying, I need that foundation. I need to know how God has spoken to us. He begins to transform us from the inside out. And as he does that, then we live our lives on mission. Look at this verse from Ezekiel 36. It, it comes up just before the passage that we're talking about. But Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm going to do things, so I'm going to bring life through my word and spirit, but it's for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. We talk about evangelism, or we talk about missions in a church. One of the most powerful forms of evangelism and missions that can ever happen is when God transforms your life and he transforms a group of people, and he does it through his word and his spirit. It's not brought about by any human method, or human strategy, or human personality, but someone looks at your life, or someone looks at a group of people and says, that could have never happened if it were not for the power of God. Those people believe in the word of God, and I can see the power of God's spirit at work in their lives. And they're not gonna be able to use those words, but they're gonna be able to look and say, that couldn't happen were it not for God's power, were it not for his word and his spirit. So as, as a church, as we think about these questions of what kind of music are we going to sing, what should corporate worship look like at 10.30 on Sunday? At the very core, let's be a people who trust God's word and who are filled with God's spirit. Because if we will do that, God will do a work in and through us that goes beyond anything we could ever imagine. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a group of people who are gathered together this morning, who have engaged in singing, something many of us don't do much of during the week, but we come together like this and we've seen these psalms about scripture. We've seen these psalms about the hope and the life that we have through Christ. God, we come around your word. Any words that I've said or stumbled over this morning, those pale in comparison to what it is that you have spoken into our lives and spoken into our world. God, we need the power of your word and we need the power of your spirit. And God, I pray especially for those who have come in here this morning and they feel dry, they feel hopeless, they feel beat up. God, I pray that they would turn to your word and that they would open themselves up to the comfort and healing that comes through your spirit 
that they would be able to trust in you, that you would take away fear and give them freedom. You would take away their shame and you would give them joy. God, let us be a church that's able to show a watching world what it is to have life and to have life to the fullest. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.